So hi, this is um, Zane Horowitz and the Oregon Poison Center once again for the December uh, 10th, 2020 Journal Club. Um, usually we cover some kind of holiday thing um, this time of year, but um, we had to go back and pick up on something that happened in November, something that was on the ballot, not just uh, everywhere, but here locally in Oregon. Um, there were two propositions, uh, although they're called measures here in Oregon, measure 109 and 110, and got a bunch of calls and emails from people saying, what's going on in Oregon? You guys are legalized every drug under the sun. And they go, no, no. So just to clarify that for anybody who's listening, measure 110 basically didn't uh, legalize but decriminalize the possession of literally anything that was an illicit substance, and you still can pay a penalty of up to $100, but you're not going to spend probably time in court or jail or tying up the system for simple possession. But the more interesting one that we're going to talk about today is Measure 109. And it was somewhat unique um, because it basically created a program to uh, come up with a set of rules for how psilocybin can be used as a medicinal substance. And we are going to look into, did we get it right? Because we're going to look into some of the data and science behind psilocybin, how it works, and what it could and could not do. Now, we certainly weren't the first place in the world, or the United States, I should say, to do this. Um, Denver, Colorado, just the city of Denver, Colorado, not a state, passed Ordinance 301 in 2019 uh, by just... Uh, touch of 50%, 0.64%, so just a little bit over 50% of the vote made possession um, a low priority for law enforcement. So it wasn't like they were legalizing for uh, medicinal uses. Three other cities, Oakland, California, Santa Cruz, and Ann Arbor, also decriminalized it. But we are the first state to actually pass a measure statewide. And what the measure did, to be brief, is the Oregon Health Authority will be now responsible for establishing a, a, the program and creating all the rules and regulations and certifications and licensing if it comes down to that behind it. And they have two years to do this before the first dose of psilocybin is administered anywhere to anybody under medicinal purposes. This does not legalize psilocybin. It is still illegal to uh, grow it or possess it or use it, although I think it's still a low priority for law enforcement technically. But this multi-agency uh, board of consisting of physicians and social workers and therapists and people from what has become the Oregon Psilocybin Society, who started this initiative uh, several years ago, they were a husband and wife set of psychotherapists who believed that um, psilocybin was an option for psychotherapy for folks. Now, unless you think this was a complete grassroots movement here, there was a fair bit of commercials on TV making this seem like this is just a wonderful medication that's going to cure a lot of ills. Uh, $5.3 million in cash and contributions were raised to support Measure 109, and apparently um, that probably helped in some degree. The measure passed here, 55 to 45%. So a 10% point um, margin, 
And basically, uh, interestingly, uh, even though it's a, a medication, there will be a heavy sales tax on it uh, once everything is sorted out. So the question now uh, comes down to, does it do something that's important? And did we get it right despite maybe not having all the information we're about to present um, here today? So I am going to turn this over first article um, from a, a odd journal that puts out these, quote, dark classics, but it's actually a reasonably well done article on um, the pharmacology. So Matt, I'm going to let you take it away with uh, this one. Thank you, Jim. So this article that I'm going to be presenting is called Chemical Neuroscience for Psilocybin. It um, is basically an overview of the drug itself and provides a good um, insight into how it works, how it develops, some of the history, 